I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably be lost for words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined as ever by my co-host Jason. Jason, hello. Yeah, good evening, Tom. How are you? Yeah, it's very good. It's not a uh, it's not a normal week for us, is it? It's not a normal betting uh, betting podcast. Back to our interview chairs today. Um, we're, we're joined today by Mark Angriano and Jaime Moreno. So, Mark, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, is this the first caddy player duo on any podcast ever? <laughs> this is this is the first time that we've certainly never done it. Um, and it's, it's great, you know, this is this is what we want, we want dynamic duos. Um, you always hear about caddy and player relationships, um, but you never actually get to talk side by side with, uh, with both of them, so this should be a great dynamic. But um, let's talk about the reason why we're here and talking about this conversation. Um, Mark, you are at the final stage of the Corn Ferry Tour qualifiers. Um, just talk us about what was going on just on that back nine and, and what you were playing for there. Yeah, the final day there was pretty intense. I was telling Jaime right before the round that day that let's just make sure we get through by a lot and not by one or two shots. Clearly, that didn't pan out, hmm. but we still got through, which all which is all that matters. So uh, it's pretty intense overall. Uh, yeah. I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> and Mark, how many times have you been in that in that position yourself and on the cusp of qualifying in that way? Uh, I've made it through five years ago, and I I was on the outside looking in going to the last round, and I shot like a 67 to get in by one as well, I think, that year. So I was there before, which is obviously something you can fall back on. It's always a good thing to have in the back of your pocket. So, um, but yeah, it's it's not fun, that's for sure, when you're yeah. in it. But if you can come out the other side getting through, it's well worth it. But it, but it sounds like you're you're well versed to to making it the hard way, and and when your back's up against the wall, you seem to to pull out the magic stuff. Um, so Jaime, obviously you're coming down the back nine, um, as, as Mark's alluded to there, you're uh, you, you're close, you're right on the number, and at this point we're playing for eight guaranteed starts on the Corn Ferry Tour next season, and uh, it looks like you've gone out of bounds. Um, just just tell us what you're thinking there and what's going on and. Because you've got an interesting dynamic there. You've got to kind of assess the ruling itself and also kind of try and help Mark out and deal with the emotions of what's going on. Yeah, it was the third round, and I believe it was our second hole of the day. Um, par five. Um, it's a hard tee shot. You know, we decided to go three with there. You know, it's a three shot par five. Um, doesn't make a really good swing on this three wood. Kind of goes kind of right um you know when we get up there it, it looks out of bounds you know by a couple inches like it just looks like it's probably out of bounds but we bring the string out um calls the rules official you know, get the string mark asks for the string the post looks crooked the post that we're going off of um it was just kind of slanted i i had that stuck in my head of mark kept saying you know it's kind of slanted it's cricket you know it kind of just doesn't look right um so they do the string um and it's it's out of bounds probably by you know a few inches yeah um so mark picks up the ball you know rules official says you know it's, it's out so mark picks up the ball and goes back to t-box 
And I'm not going to go back to T-Box with him. I mean, he's, you know, he's pretty good at this stuff um, as far as composure-wise. Um, he's really good at that. And I, he needed some time alone for that walk. So I'll let, I stay there. I stay with the rules official. And he's tied up the string. And I'm looking at the stakes. Um, look at the houses mostly. And you look, you know, on one side, there's all these stakes perfectly in a row, you know, and they're all white. And on the bottom of them, there's all like kind of just white dots yeah. on each of them. Straight line. And then there's a post that comes out towards the fairway, you know, on the other side of a tree. And then the next post goes back in towards the houses, you know. So it just didn't look right. And you can see the white paint on the other side where the other houses are. And I said that to the rules official. I said, why is it there's white paint there under those stakes? You know, you come out here, there's this random stake here, and you go back on the other side, and there's paint over there. And he kind of looked at it, and he, he kind of knew, like, something just didn't look right. Like, there's something's off here. And he gets on the radio you know, get, calls the other officials, I guess, and they basically said, you have to give the benefit to the player in that situation. You know, because he said there was no, the, the rules official said there was no white paint yeah. on the stake we went off of. And when once he said that, that's when the other officials on the radio said, you, you just have to give the benefit to the player. You know, and I, I remember calling Mark over, and he's like looking at me like, what do you want? Like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm trying to calm down think, here, yeah. I think, yeah, I don't think this ball is out of bounds, man. I think just come back here for a second. You know, let me go get try to get a number. And, you know, and it kind of just all worked out. Uh, later, we'd find out that the white paint, it was on the other side of the tree. So this ball was actually in bounds by a good 20 yards. Wow. <laughs> you know, it wasn't really, wasn't really close. Yeah, and so yeah, I have something, was, I have um, something to add cool. about that. We yeah. ended up making par on the hole, but uh, they they're filming some featured groups out there, and literally right when I turned on the featured group uh, broadcast, Elvin Choi was hitting from the same exact spot as me. Yeah. So. Oh man. <laughs> luck, luckily, we were the second group out on the course that day, so the first group didn't have any issues, so it didn't really affect uh, any of the rest of the field. So and it that, kind of worked out that, and that way. Yeah, and that, that was what I was going to ask. Wow. I was going to say, I wonder if anyone else got caught out by that. I'd wonder if, Mark, yourself, you know, if, you, if you're in that situation, obviously you've got a good relationship with Harmony from what I understand, and you, you've, you've worked together before. Had that have been a local caddy, had that have been, you know, a friend on the bag, whatever, I'm assuming you were just ready to fully accept your fate and just go back to the tee and, and start up again. Yeah, I mean, that's the good thing about us being curious people, I guess, because <laughs> I just wanted to make sure it was a stake. I was, I just remember telling Jaime, why is that stake all slanted? That, yeah. That's kind of weird. Like, it's not normal yeah. on these events. So just the curiosity part of it and just being, making sure I'm asking all the right questions. Like, why is that stake there? It's slanted. We double check the, if the ball's out by this much. It kind of all built up to like us getting the benefit of the doubt. So. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing as well. Is, is a lot of what you said there, but Alvin Choi, someone that we've actually had on the podcast and we've spoken to him, so I'm sure he was appreciative of the fact that that had been spotted earlier in the day because not only have you got a responsibility for yourself, I suppose, it's a responsibility to feel for you guys to investigate 
whether that's the right part of the golf course, whether whether that ruling should even have happened, you know, it, it had you know had it have not gone your way and, and things like that, then you know that has to happen. But it, it needed to be investigated, not just for your benefit, but for everyone playing that day as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, ben, you you want to make it an even playing field, so that post was changed uh, without any supervision. So. Um, it wasn't clearly supposed to be there. So it's fair to everyone else, too. Um, Mark, how could, did... sorry, Go on. sorry, mate. Can I, can I just say, I mean, obviously, sport, if you, if you start bringing emotion into sport, then technique starts to go all over the place, doesn't it? What, what was your feed? I mean, I, I know Jaime said that, you know, you've got a very level temperament on that, but this is a pressure situation, third round. It's not like it's the first round and you can make a bunch of birdies to get over it. Your, your mental sort of attitude as you're walking back to the team, and then the relief that it must have been when you finally got the decision. I mean, did you literally just go back to the team and go, okay, that happens, you know, shit happens, and, and I've just got to move on? Or, or you know, were you, well, you had to be tense. You had to have some sort of anger with your game, surely. Well, first of all, I just hated the way that tee shot looked even before the week started. It just did not fit my eye at yeah. all. And then with the wind that day, just the way it was playing in the morning that day, it just did not fit my eye. But at the same time, as I was walking back to the tee box, my wife and her family showed up to watch my whole round. <laughs> so all that was happening at the same time. They didn't know what was going on. I saw them walking back, like trying to put a smile on my face just to make sure they know I'm not losing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, yeah, I mean, it just, it was just a lot going on at that, at that moment. Do you um, think- and yeah. Do you think there's ever a, a feeling of inevitability when something like that happens? I, I'm not saying that obviously that was the only thing that, that changed the course of the thing. Obviously, it's a four-round event, and you've got a lot that you've had to go your way that week to to make happen what it did. And you know, the story is you make it by one and get through, and, and this is a difference, right? But that's not necessarily the case. You know, there's a lot of other good shots you would have played to to save holes there and stuff. But when something like that happens, does it feel like luck is on your side and you could and and that takes you into a, a good feeling going into the final days? Yeah, I mean, it's all about how you react to it, right? You can use it as momentum and go towards the rest of your round with that good feeling that you just pulled off uh, with the rules going your way. So um, it really helped because we were playing the harder course that day, and my goal was just yeah. to shoot something under par on that round. Um, and we did that. We shot two under that day. And who knows? I mean, if that was an out-of-bounds ball, it would have been much more difficult to to get under par because that would have been one or two over uh, through two holes there instead of being one under through two holes. Yeah. So right. that really made the round a little easier. And you just never know. I mean, I could have gone off and made a bunch of birdies if it was out-of-bounds, but you just never know with golf. It, it changes every day like that. Yeah, and I think, Jaime, you, you said there about how how impressed you've always been with kind of Mark's attitude and how you know he's going to be composing that situation. But is there a, a kind of, you know, did you feel like you had to do any settling down once that decision had been made, kind of getting back into the shot? Because there's still work to do, even once the decision's been made. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really, I, I remember running out and get, kind of getting a layup number um, and the line, you know, I think he was more kind of happy you know, his mood kind of changed, but you really just can't, I didn't really bring it up after the round. I didn't bring it up during the round after that. Didn't bring it up the fourth round. 
you know, just kind of just move on. You know, it's just something that happened that one hole. Okay, and then you got to, you just got to move on. You know, there's, there's, we've got a lot more work to do. So we kind of just didn't really talk about it, to be honest. Yeah, and I think probably the 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 reaction after the event, you know, the, the conversation that we're having tonight, all the stories in Golf Digest, yeah, you know, Jason did a piece on yourselves and things like that. I guess you can't even fathom the fact that there's going to be so much more attention, uh, Mark, coming on to you after something like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it really wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a break that went our way. That's good, but I just moved on from it. I, I did a really good job moving on from it, but... But I guess yeah. the result, because of the result at the end of the fourth round, it became a big story because it's one or two shots that made the difference there. So and I, I think, that's what makes it cool. And I think the coolest thing about it, right, is that exactly what you just said there, that like, had you have missed by one, or had you have missed by two or whatever, we may not have heard about this. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, this is a this is an incredible momentum change, Jaime, on something that you spotted and... You know, just you know, the praise where it's due that of what you've done, and obviously Mark's spoke about what you did on Twitter, and everyone's kind of praised you for that. And I know you, you've not done that, and you're not out to gain all those ploys and things like that. But suddenly that changes the, the landscape completely, based on the fact that that you've got through, and, and all of a sudden you guys have got eight eight guaranteed starts to look forward to next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that bogey he hit, a bogey we made on the fourth round. What hole was that, Mark? Like you, we hit it out of bounds there, and you got up and down for bogey. Like that really was that moment there is when it like really, like all right, he he's he's locked in. Yeah, like, yeah, it was the thirteenth hole, the final day. Thirteenth hole, final day. Like that, that was really to me. That's all I was thinking about when we got done. <laughs> like man, that was what. Dude, that's 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 what. That was a big bogey. That was probably one of the best bogeys I've ever seen. To be honest, I mean. He, he hit this thing out of bounds, you know, left. That was, it was really out of bounds. And I think he hit a six iron. I think he like, he flagged it like that's bogeys like that is what gets you through Q school. You yeah. know, and yeah, a few other good breaks, but that was huge. That was a, that was a moment for him to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. That And, and Jason, we, we've spoken to, to Toby Tree before about European tour qualification, didn't we? And and he said on that final day, that a discussion between him and his caddy where he wanted to, I think it was a par five, didn't he, where he wanted to go with his second yeah. shot and it would have it would have caused havoc. And he ended up playing two lob wedges up to it and, and making a, a pretty comfy par. And it, and it just shows that the player caddy dynamic that we're going to come across here as, as to what can happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I'm also going to say, am I, am I correct in saying that even at um, second stage Q school, um, it, that was a very difficult track as well, um, and you thought you'd missed it. You thought you'd missed the, the, the qualification for the final round until the end, and you're looking at until you look at the leaderboard. So you, yeah. you've clearly got yeah. you've clearly got you know balls. So um, you know if it comes down to a very tight finish next year, then then we'll have a look at him running better. Because um, <laughs> you, you clearly you know you, you rise when it's when you know adversity, and that's uh, you know that's that's natural, isn't it? You can't buy that sort of attitude. Well, it's it's an earned uh, it's an earned like thing you have you have to go through, and I have learned from that just from playing mini tour events and stuff, where you're in contention. I think being in contention is there's nothing better because you learn the most about yourself in those situations, and if you if you know a way that that works for you under under pressure like that, um, it 
gives you so much confidence for the next one that's going to happen. So, um, like second stage, we 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 started off the round, our final round, like pretty good, and then I all of a sudden three putted for double bogey on the third hole, and it's a really hard golf course, and I thought I needed a couple birdies coming in, and I made one birdie and eleven par or one birdie and thirteen pars coming in to make it on the number. So, um, you just never know. Like, it's really hard to come back after giving away shots down the stretch but if you're making pars and maybe sprinkling birdies here and there on any course whether it's easy or hard it really makes a big difference uh because sometimes the scores do go the other way they don't go you know they don't bump up to like three under or two under they go backwards sometimes to one under or even so which is what which is what happened at final stage too can I can I put you up on that and, and it's a question to both really because both had experience on, on the tours I've I've, I've did an article today and it was it was based on what hannah Gregg said about uh, money on the on the sort of lower end of the women's tours anyway cut long story short there was a few comments that went up um and just to quote one fella that's has played on you'll know these tours better than me moonlight golden bear gateway and all these pro tours i believe what he says is he says that development tours do their job perfectly they weed out players by attrition either fiscal mental or physically um and the way you're saying that you said you're taking all that experience from for the mini tours and the development tours, and that's giving you the experience and the steel to be able to cope at you know a slightly higher level. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think I think uh, the biggest thing is money on the when you're at that level because once you start playing bad and you're on a bad stretch, you're really low on money financially, and and you have to be in contention almost all the time just to make. Uh, a little bit of money here and there and then if you get a win here a win there maybe a couple more here and there you know you get few wins out of these mini tours you do make some money which is kind of nice and like you said it weeds out other guys so and and you're in contention a lot which is great practice i don't care Uh, who you are it's great practice absolutely yeah yeah Harvey, the same to you as well. I mean, you know, what Mark speaks about there in terms of finances for, you know, the mini tours, like, you know, it isn't just the players that, that you need to really focus on because some players carry their own bag out there because they can't afford a caddy. They may play a local caddy or things like that. So for someone in your position to, to give up a week to do a round with Mark at Q School and things like that, that's not maybe as easy as it, as it seems. I know maybe, you know, you guys have got a friendship and a relationship and you can make it work, but... I guess what I'm saying is it's, yeah. it's not an easy thing to build up on the on the mini tours, a, a, you know, a player caddy relationship that can last, you know, seasons. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very fortunate to be here at Bain and Dunes, um, and I'm be able to come and go, you know, be able to work for Mark here and there, be able to work on Corn Ferry and PJ Tour. If I didn't have a place like Bain and it, it would be pretty pretty hard to do, to be honest. Um, you know, our expenses are, are pretty high also, and. You know, it's just you need to have a cash flow. You need to have something, you know, like Bandon to be able to do this 100%. Because that's even even on the Corn Ferry Tour, right? I mean, I think if you're a caddy on the PJ Tour, you can probably make it work for a season and kind of you could quit a job at Abandon if someone was going to give you a season and things like that. But in terms of the Corn Ferry Tour, I don't think that's, you know, just as easy as that these days. Correct. Yeah, it's just expensive. You know, you're trying to, you know, Bahamas here in a, in a couple of months is unbelievably expensive. <laughs> um, 
Um, you know, so you're trying to cram a couple guys into a room, you know, like four guys into a room type of deal and, you know, three guys to a car, you know, it's just, that's, that's the life we chose to be honest. We, we know we could, you know, find that player like a Mark, um, and get, you know, get to the PGA tour to be honest. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing I think you, you, for you, for you, Jaime, that's, uh, that's a thing that you've got to have a belief in, Mark. And obviously, you know, not not to put you on the spot here, the four of us on the conversation, but that, that's something that you have to bear in mind. You can't just go and put yourself with anyone when you when you're leaving your day job to go and do something. You've got to have someone that you've got an inner belief on that can be at any level at any time. Correct. I mean, this guy's been doing it for a few years, and and to be able to support himself playing mini tour golf is unbelievably impressive um that that's that's something really hard to do because you're literally you're trying to make it pay a pay a check to pay be able to pay your bills yeah and he's been doing that for years and i think that's what gives him his mental advantage over so many players is like he's he's able to do that and it's it's, it's really impressive to be honest yeah and i think i think that might i think do you think that the I mean, look. Let, let's let's be honest. If you didn't have to come and do all these mini tour events, and and you could go straight to onto the PGA tour, straight out of college and things like that, that would that's the the chosen route, right? If you've got a sponsor, you get yourself into an event, parlay that into into some status. That's the way you want it to go. But that hasn't happened all the time. You know, you haven't had all of those opportunities. You've had opportunities here and there, and, and you've made good on them earlier in your career as well. But do, do you think, like like Jaime just said there, that the fact that you have to basically earn everything that you get, every every check, every round, every win, do you think that once you get up to that PGA Tour level, that coming down the stretch on the back nine, all of a sudden, when everyone's just worried about winning their first tournament, you're thinking, well, I've just won 20 tournaments. I know how to win a golf tournament. It's more making sure that I keep myself composed in my game at the level that it's at. And rather than, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you think you built up, built up a better mental fortitude than maybe some out there that are still learning that earlier in their craft? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think a lot of people just misunderstand the aspect of professional golf. Yeah, they just assume that all these guys just cruise onto the PGA Tour, but I see it as like my own business, and a lot of businesses and startups aren't successful at least for a few good years. So um, you have to work your way up. And nothing's really earned, or nothing's really given, and everything's earned. And yeah, I mean, I think the other main thing is just perspective. I think once you're in contention in a tour event, uh, you, it's all about what your perspective is in that moment because you can be too into it and really want to win that much, and it can actually hurt you in the end instead of being uh, grateful for being there because it could always be worse. Like, you, you don't, you wouldn't be there. Um, if you didn't work hard and you, you could be someone else that's not on that on the tour and you just have to be grateful for a situation like winning trying to win a first PGA Tour event so I think all that takes a little heat off on myself uh, personally so um, just because it's really freaking hard to win yeah. right at any level so just to know that you have some perspective out there while you're grinding your ass off it really does help and I think I think I think the thing is for for me is, and this is not to say that when it comes it is going to be, but I just feel like you know you've done the hardest thing you can possibly do is be worrying about check to check each week, like playing golf to, to try and make ends meet. 
So when you get to the level and it's okay, you know, a win means you win a golf tournament as opposed to a win makes you pay off bills. I'm guessing the pressure maybe becomes slightly less than it would have done for a, a rookie at 21 years of age that's just coming out of college. Yeah, definitely. Just because as you age, there's more responsibilities that you have. So there's more things that you need to provide for. And yeah, I mean, once you play for bigger purses, it does take that heat off of you a little bit. But I'm just going to be frank with you. Um, your bank account can get extremely large pretty quickly. Rather, if you're on the mini tours, you can't really do that. So yeah. um, that's just one asset of um, being at a higher level. So, yeah, absolutely, Jason. I think this is a good transition for us to speak about Ryan French. Obviously, Monday Q info is is a person that kind of highlights the situations that, that Mark and Jaime are finding themselves in that that are showing the different, you know, side of professional golf that isn't just the, the glitz and glamour of the PJ Tour. Like these guys have to go out and, and earn their way before they've even got a chance to get there. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, from our point of view, you know, we've been writing or speaking about golf for 20 odd years, but, um, you know, there's only so much time you can have. And, and obviously, we follow the European and the PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, Challenge Tour, and maybe the ladies. Um, but Ryan, during lockdown, and, and we'll bring lockdown into it, I know you discussed it with him and said it's a ter- you know, pretty bad time for, for yourself, probably for both of you. Um, you know, he's the one that during lockdown just provided so much information, so much golf interest. Um, I, I, I genuinely think the mini tours have got so much to thank him for. Um, and he was the one that, you know, we all we all started learning. We all started learning that there's people going in camper vans. There's people that are literally putting on the 72nd hole and then going off to do a part-time job. Um, and, you know, so big up to Ryan. I know he's a, he's a friend of yours, uh, Mark. But, I mean, for both of you, for example, I mean, you, you said back in 2019, um, I know you don't mind me saying you were about 20 grand in debt um, and you said there was no job that you could do to get it at, get you out of it so just play better um, I mean that those those people that you look at out and there, there's so many talented people on the mini tours but they can't get out of it for whatever reason there's a mental block or the pressure because I'd imagine standing over standing over a puff to win you I don't know a few grand and you're thinking about paying next month's rent you can't play golf like that. You know, you have to be concentrating on the putt. So, as far as Ryan's concerned, did, that, did, that, did he make any difference to you during lockdown and, and as the Outlaw Tour and the Cactus Tour, for example, got much, much, much bigger exposure? Did, did you find that yourself? Yeah, Ryan's done obviously an amazing job, and I've gotten to know him really well. We've become friends. And he just opened like a new kind of market for uh, professional golf. You know, there's so many stories. Um, from almost every part of the world where these people and these players are just getting barely getting by just to pay for an entry fee for an event and they live kind of week, week to week in the sense you know and if they keep playing well uh, they they do make some money and that's good and obviously like you want to win as much as you can but we just know that's not the case and so it's just all about giving yourself chances and giving yourself, once you have that opportunity of trying to win, just making sure you're uh, ready to ready to pull it off because you don't get a lot of chances, even at the minis for level. So, um, but what Ryan does a good job with, he just he, he shows what 95% of pros go through. It's not like... It's not like everyone on the PGA Tour just got there real easy. There's even a lot of guys on the PGA Tour that kind of did the route that 
I'm doing as of now or like other guys that are doing too. So um, it just shows he's, he's so transparent with his stories. It's just so fun to, to see and read about. Now, question. Sorry, Jay. We all might know. Off you. Hi, me. I was just going to say on that, you know, we're, we're talking about Mark and, and the mini tour level and, you know, he's won back out on the McKenzie tour, you know, in 2018 from, from your perspective, because obviously, you know, just looking at him as a player, you've caddied at different levels. How fine are the margins between a Mark Angriano winning on the, you know, Formy tour or, you know, the outlaw tour to actually going on to win on the PJ tour? What, what do you think? Do you think it literally does come down to opportunities and sponsorships and and being comfortable as opposed to just just outright talent? Um, I mean, it's, it's a mixture of a lot of things, to be honest. Um, opportunity, um, being ready in that moment, you know, being ready for Q school that that's 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 a big deal. Yeah. Um, there's just so many good players out there, to be honest. I mean, mm. everybody's good out there on. The depth in the Corn Ferry, it, it's ridiculous how many good players are out there. So it's just, you know, having a good week, to be honest. Yeah, and, and it is, just, I guess, like you say, just, just seizing the opportunity. Because, Mark, we, we look back at one of your wins. Uh, I think it was McKenzie Tour at the time, obviously the Formula Tour now. Um, back at the Windsor Championship. And you look at the, the kind of names in there. Um, you know, Michael Gligic and, and Taylor Pendriff have been playing on the PGA Tour for, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, Corn Ferry for, mainly for Taylor there Grayson Siggs got promoted to the PGA Tour he was in that field Chris Williams who I spoke to before was obviously a, a former college standout you know so when you when you see an artist of, of a lot of guys um, that you know maybe aren't the level they wanted to be at at the moment do you use that you know when you see these guys and they just got promoted to the PGA Tour after a long Corn Ferry you know a qualification do you use that as inspiration is there any kind of like begrudgement that you know that you're at their level and, and just haven't quite got to the same status yet is you know is it is it a mixture of both those things or is it just more inspiring that you know you can get there because you know you can beat them uh well i think if i was younger i'd be a little more jealous but i'm not jealous at all anymore i think everyone has their own path to whatever they want to try to do in their lives and if they once i see people get there it's just so awesome to see and it is very inspiring you know because a lot of these guys out there are my friends now so I want my friends to do well. I mean, that's just as simple as that. But, um, yeah, I mean, taking advantage of opportunities is what they have done. So that's the main thing for players like me and and players on any mini tour. You just got to take advantage at the right time. So um, that's something that these players have done that are on tour. Yeah, so talking about then, so you've got eight guaranteed starts uh on the corn ferry next year and do you do you know what events they're going to be do you get to pick those events how does that work uh so the first eight events are guaranteed and then after the eighth event is a reshuffle so you just really want to actually just play the first eight yeah uh, if you can unless you have some personal or stuff going on back at home but because if you miss some, or maybe you say you just miss all eight cuts, you get jumped by a bunch of other players that made some money, and you might not get into every event, or any event, I guess, after the eighth event if you make zero money. So it's pretty important to get eight starts before the first reshuffle. Yeah, so you, you kind of have to play them. 
how does your approach change going into those events? So, you know, you spend you spent the last couple of seasons just playing the events that you can, the mini tour events that you can. Now you know you've got this guaranteed eight start. So obviously the, the, the dream scenario is you go in and win one of those weeks. That's you know, you know that's not out of the question, you know you're capable of doing that. Um but most importantly is that you parlay parlay them into more starts and more guaranteed work for the season. How do, how do you revolve your game? Will you still play mini tour events to keep yourself sharp up until then? And you know, to because as you said earlier, winning's you know the, the best kind of form of practice, I guess. And and then do you have to then have a real kind of plan in place in terms of practice as opposed to something you've had in the past? Not to say you've obviously not had plans, but to, is there a different type of plan when you know you've got eight events coming up? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to really be playing anything. I have one event and. December in Orlando. It's called the Big Money Golf Classic. Yeah, and it's actually a really good purse, so it's definitely worth playing in. Um, and that's all the only event I'll be playing in before the season starts. And I guess the the one thing that people and players need to realize is that once you move up in levels in golf, in professional golf, the golf courses get harder. Yeah, and so just realizing that it's okay to not be going at every flag like a mini tour event because a short side miss on a core three tour is going to be much more difficult than a short side miss at a mini tour golf course. So just realizing that ball striking is a little more important once you get up at a level. So um, just making sure your game plan is, fits the golf course each week So and your practice schedule. I think overdoing it's pretty easy to do every week out there on, on these tours. So just pacing yourself and making sure you're you're efficient in your practice. Because I guess there's, there is a temptation to completely change your approach from what you've done in the past, to, to completely, like you say, overwork, overdo it, and then by the time you come to, to January and get these starts, you, you burn out before you've even started. Yeah, exactly. You, that's, that's my main thing, is just make sure to prepare as well as possible, but don't overdo it, because there's a there's a tipping point, I guess you could say, with that, so... Yeah, absolutely. Jason, I know you had a couple of other questions for Mark that you wanted to get in here. Well, no, I just want to ask. I mean, your, your first event, I presume, you're going to go to Bahamas. I mean, I think Hyman's already said that he's saving up already, isn't he, or something? Um, <laughs> and and, and um, you finished top 30 there, I think, in 2017. Um, so that's got to give you some some degree of hope going there and thinking to yourself, well, you know, you know a decent start. The top 30, top 30 is fine, isn't it? I mean, I know you're hoping to do better and get the one by your name, which is great. Um, but that must give you some impetus because just looking at your record, you came off a couple of missed cuts for the season before. And then to get oh, back... Um, are you talking about Exuma? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I played it five years ago. Yeah. And the cut happened to be like 11 or 12 over after two rounds. So I played it in like 40 mile an hour wins. Yeah. Silly. So... Hopefully That's it's, a, it's a little yeah. more benign this year. Was that, yeah, the, was, was that the year that Carl Thompson won? Yeah, he somehow shot like 200 part, which <laughs> blows my mind. I, I, I was doing it. I was doing the interview with him, and, and he was telling me that there was a point where he was worried he was going to lose uh, too many golf balls, uh, and he only had three in his bag, and he was tempted to go and get the same model from, from over on the range. So I think that everyone, despite the fact that he'd won that week, uh, everyone was kind of worried about the weather you got there. But I think he... I think he said something like he doubled his first hole and still won there. So I imagine, like you say, that's a that's an event and it's a perfect example there, Mark, of, of something that you can just never prepare for. Like most times you probably would never have gone out on that golf course. It probably shouldn't have been 
allowed. I don't know. I, I don't know if it should have gone ahead that round, but you know it, that's something you've kind of got to prepare for, and, and well, you've got to expect the very worst, knowing that you can go to Bahamas and, and something like the wind can kick up and, and really take over. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it won't be as windy, but <laughs> you just never know, right? So you just gotta make sure you're ready for any kind of situation. But it'll be fun out there. I mean, it's gonna be beautiful views and beginning of a season, so. It's not going to be as intense as Q School, that's for sure. Do you prefer? Do you prefer a, a tournament? At sort of. I mean, we love it. We love watching tournaments at level par and two under winning tournaments. Do you prefer those? Because obviously you've got loads of low rounds. Um, but equally, you know, some of your form, um, you know, like the, the Latin America tour, you know, they're not yeah. low scoring tours, and you do quite well at them. So do you? I mean, both of you really the answer. Um, you know, do you prefer a low scoring thing rather than just pin seeking? I mean, you can go. You can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he likes where like par is a good score. Yeah, I prefer I prefer that when par is good. I I'm into that. You know, like Zuma Bahamas where it's gonna be blowing. It's gonna be silly down there. I'm sure. Like pars are good, and we don't play enough of those golf courses on Corn Ferry where you're rewarded by pars. I'm kind of need to make a lot of birdies, but I I, I like seeing them grind. Yeah. I like, I'm into that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that, brings, <laughs> yeah. that brings me on. That brings me on, Mark. Sorry. Um, link it in. Um, I've got you over in Europe once. I don't know if there's been any more in the career, but I've got it down once, way back in 2014, at the uh, St Andrews at Dunhill Links, which um, was. I mean, I don't know. You may have been over here for holidays for the rest of your life, but um, was that anything of a culture shock? Because yeah, no, that's your classic. It's a classic tournament. What a, what a great start to a pro career. Yeah, that was on my 22nd birthday as well, the first round that year. So that was pretty special. I, I remember just teeing off at St. Andrews the second round. And like that, for them to announce your name on that tee box in a tournament is like priceless. You know, it just it gives me kind of the chills thinking about it. How cool of an opportunity that was just to play in an event like that coming from the States. It's a very underrated event. And then, and then, sorry, wait, go on. I was just going to say, a couple of years later, obviously, you qualified for the US Open at Oakmont for a Dustin one. Um, again, I mean, they, these are highlight careers, and you can see your career progression, you know, from, I mean, it's only seven years at the end of the day, and you can see it. You know, you can see the, you know, top 25 at the, um, I can never say the Albertson, Boaz, Boys, whatever it is. And you can see it, qualify for the US Open, get that experience, you know, win, win on the McKenzie Tour, and it just keeps going. And what was that US Open? Uh, experience like because that must have been just lunacy uh, yeah i mean oakmont is the quintessential place for us open it's probably the hardest course by far i've ever played i got there the saturday before and i played nine holes sunday and i think i lost like four golf balls in the back nine i probably would have <laughs> shot like 44 uh, <laughs> just because there's no spotters out there yet but it actually rained like wednesday and thursday so it got a little easier unfortunately i wish i saw it and played it without any uh, weather coming in. But I think the winning score and was still one or two under, and the cut was like seven or eight over. It was brutal. I mean, the greens are just impossible there. I, I could not figure them out when I was playing. Good. We love it. When, we love it when you have to work for your money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's all for us, us sitting on the on the sofa watching. But um, yeah, I don't think I'd like to be in those positions. But I think, I think that the overriding thing there is it's just... You know, 
Mark, you're, you know, you're looking at your record. You, you love to go out and shoot at 62, and I think that's probably coming from the fact you, you do a lot of Monday qualifying and, and, and one-day events and things like that. You know how to go low on any one given day, but it's, it's nice to hear you say that you're prepared to go and do any challenge, any level, any score, whatever, because you need that right at the Corman Perry level. You know, there are a lot of low scores out there. There's a lot of low-scoring events, but then you get at Bahamas and, and something that happens there, and, and, and that can be uh, that can turn things on its head quite quickly. But... It's interesting we spoke about the Alfred Dunhill links. I guess there was never the initial plan, but you see a lot of uh, guys come over from America now to the Challenge Tour and, uh, and and even the European Tour at times and, and craft their way over here. Is that ever an option for you at any time? I thought about it uh, after 2019, just kind of planning out the year, and then COVID happened, and they haven't had Q school since. So yeah. my plan was to originally go try for Europe last year. But uh, things change, I guess, right? So yeah, no, um, absolutely. It's okay. I don't, I, I, I wasn't like too bummed about it, but I would have loved to try. So, but you never know; an opportunity could pop up to try it. So we'll see. Yeah, exactly that. Look, I mean, look, we hope, Mark, that it doesn't come to that. We're hoping that these eight events that you've got coming up next year, uh, I'm hoping Jaime is going to be on your bag. You know, between the two of you, you're going to have some really good starts there, some really good experiences, and work your way back up to the PJ Tour uh, in that way. But, you know, is there is there an event of those eight that you're looking forward to over others that you think really suits your game more, like, you know, knowledge of the courses from the past and things like that? Oh, man. I have played almost all of them before, so, man, that's a good question. I haven't really, to be honest, I've taken a break since final stage, and I have not thought about golf much. That's probably so, quite healthy, right? <laughs> After all yeah, I've been, I've been trying to get away from it, so I really haven't thought about that yet, to be honest. So maybe I can get back to you and give you a good answer. But <laughs> yeah. right now, I'm just looking forward to resting, and I just actually booked... Uh, my trip to the Bahamas so I'm just looking forward to getting over there I mean I haven't really thought about the golf courses too much yet yeah we, we don't want to be responsible for getting in your head too soon um you know we, we, <laughs> we, will, we will be back here uh you know and, and doing a podcast again with you both when when you've won your, one of your two events in uh in the Bahamas so um yeah don't well, the, yeah no yeah no I'm sure they will but um look um Jaime yeah. from from your point of view sorry you know I don't know what the arrangement is, whether you're on the bag for all those eight events, whether, think, whether you're capable of doing things like that, but how quickly can your career pathway change if, if something happens with you and Mark when, when you're on the bag? Um, I mean, it kind of depends on the event and where you're at. Um, it could change pretty fast. I mean, if, if you were to win, you know, it wouldn't necessarily change the tour that we're on. If, you know, if he was to win the Bahamas, you know, he would, you know, probably like, all right, let's win again, you know, try to get, yeah. you know, three wins and get off the tour. But, you know, it's nice to, you know, a win always helps the bank account, especially for caddies, <laughs> you know, um, keeps me, you know, on the road instead of uh, back here at Bandon, uh, which is always nice. So it, it's all, you know, depends on where you're at, really. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, you, you're going to say something, there, mate. I was just going to say that you just booked the Bahamas, um, which I, I presume the 100K that was won at uh, Colorado um, helped uh, finance that a bit. I mean, it must be sure. I mean, it just must be. I know it's, it's a fantastic prize. 29 under. Did you hit? I think you hit 63rd round, um, I think. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, people have been saying, to be fair, Mark, yourself, I know there's your good, your good friend Matt Picanzo. Uh, there, there's some, you know, Brady Calkins. There's people on that mini tour that can just shoot silly numbers 
but that I mean to do that must be I, I can't imagine you know six years as a pro and, and I know you've been winning and I know you've been making money um, but to do that must have been just a tremendous sense of relief it must just give take a weight off your shoulder yeah that was that was the biggest win in my career for sure and I think it will be unless I went on the PGA Tour so um, like I said 2019 I didn't have any money and then to win that of the summer of 2020 was pretty amazing Huge. <laughs> so yeah. um, and, to, and to do it the way I did it I shot 19 under the last two days so it was like a kind of a blackout sort of in the zone so that's pretty <laughs> insane isn't it you know tournament record 29 underscore 60 in round three 19 under over two days that that's that's you know I'd, I'd say it's quite frightening as someone that know, doesn't know anything about shooting those kind of scores um but what's the what's the overriding feeling there mark when you know obviously there's an excitement of winning a hundred thousand dollars right but is it is it more relief as opposed to the excitement can you not let yourself get excited until you know you've, you've sewn it up and got that you know how what what is the main feeling you take away from that win well i just remember the whole last round i was going into it tied for the lead with the other player and I just told myself, don't lose the lead. Obviously, it's easier said than done. But I did grab the lead early and never lost it, which was a goal. But on the back nine, I just remember telling myself that, like, it doesn't matter how you end it, how you end this tournament, because you're you're going to take so much out of it. Like, you're going to. I was fine with choking. That's how good of a mental state I was in. So it kind of just took some pressure off it was a weird state of mind which i try to go back to which i do sometimes but it wasn't as good as that that week for some reason i think i think that's it's amazing because you've kind of got these kind of like the highs and and relief for the side of things so you know you know that a hundred thousand allows you to to go on and do what you're doing now in the next couple of years it kind of helps you support that pays off the, the, the debts that you had and things like that but also now you've got the the experience of shooting 60 and, and 19 under over two rounds, 29 under total. So you know you can go low. You, you've got you know that you can go to Q school and you can you know get in by one. Your backs up against the wall. You've done that twice now. So all of a sudden you know 29 years of age, Mark, if I'm right, 28, 29 years of age, yeah. and yep. you've had you know maybe you'd look back and say I wish I was at the PJ tour level at this age or whatever, but all of these experiences and all these things that you're 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 going through are only going to serve you better when you get there. Like if, if you'd have got there straight out of college, you may not have been able to react the way that you would now if you got there and, and got yourself in contention. Yeah, hundred percent. And it just not just with golf, but with life experiences too. You kind of learn how to apply what I at least I've learned how to apply what I've learned about myself on the golf course and kind of apply it to certain parts of life. So it's uh it's pretty cool to be able to do that with myself so um but there's a lot of lows as as we know so it's learning from those lows is was the most important thing and i think i think the, the ultimate the i guess the the overriding thing is is always backing yourself and believing in yourself it's great that you've got jaime there to you know hit everything that he says about you and that obviously builds confidence in yourself as well so you've got someone i'm sure you've got great support system and belief in that so all of those things go into a great mental state and it's only going to power you going forward. And, and like you say, if it, I guess it's not getting too low with the lows as well because they, they can be miserable times. Like, that, that, you know, when we speak about people missing a cut on the PJ Tour, 
like if they've got status it's not it's not a big deal like they might look they might look frustrated they might look fed up and you know and an early plane ride home might be disappointing but yours is like between life and you know a, a career you might have to go and give up golf if, if it doesn't work out so you've had all those experiences you've got those to lean on it's kind of I guess it just gives you a completely different perspective, despite the fact that at 29 you're not at the tour you want to be, and you've now still got the potential to do that, still got the chance to live out your dream in that way. You just did it in a different, like you said earlier, uh, Mark, which I liked, is that everyone's got their own path. Yeah, I mean, going back to Jaime, we just trust each other. I think we've learned from each yeah. other a lot too. And I mean, I went into the weights management this year, and he caddied for me that week, and we were grinding our asses off. And we entered the back nine on Friday. I think we were on the cut number or one back. Yeah. And yeah. I ended up not making the cut. I made a, I had a bad break and made a bogey. And <sighs> that was pretty much that. But I think if I was younger, I would have kicked myself more. Like I would have been harder on myself. But I think me and Jaime just realized that like it really doesn't matter how we finish. It's just about how how we react to it and just learn from it. And I don't think we were too hard on ourselves after maybe immediately after I didn't say anything for about 20 straight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's normal. I, I let you, I let you walk it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a hard game. It's, it's a hard yeah. game, man. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes really it's, it's going to beat you. Yeah. yeah. It's get some bad breaks. We got a, we got a terrible break, you know, and you know, last week we got a good break. Yeah. It's golf. How, how does that make you feel, Jaime, that what Mark just said there about just complete trust in, in one another? Like, you know, you, you've spoken about you, you trust Mark's game. You know, if he gets in contention or whatever, you can trust him to do it. But just to hear that from him, like how much he can lean on you and, you know, you, you can go from caddying at Bandon one day and, and that's great and it's a great job to have. And then you can go into a PJ Tour event and the player's got absolute faith that you're going to provide the best job that he can he can ask for. It must be quite a feeling to have that someone think about that of you. Yeah, it's a it's a great feeling as a caddy. You know, you always want your player to think, you know, that you could trust you. And, you know, it's something, you know, I like to think I, I've earned. I've known Mark for a long time. And, you know, it's I've caddied for a lot of different type of players on different, you know, from LPGA to PGA, Corn Ferry. And, you know, I learn from them. You know, I'm always learning from everybody I, I work for, really. Yeah. You know, and it kind of just all built up. It's... it's, it's... But interesting is exactly what you say because uh, I, I did a piece today based on what Lexi Thompson said after um, unfortunately yet another um, um, error coming down the stretch if you like and she's got a new caddy Will Davison who's been with her for six weeks and she said I think the caddy player relationship is the biggest thing out here um, uh, if you have somebody out here you're not gelling with by your side it can make a big impact so everything you say there it's it's huge people don't realise it do I mean you look at the classic combinations Bones and Phil Mickelson and you know things like that, Fluff and, and uh, Jim Fury or Tiger. It's just huge, isn't it? Um, you know, you're with them for so long that it, yeah. you have you have to get on, don't you? You're walking four and a half, five hours a day plus the range plus everything. If you don't get on or don't trust each other, something's going to give, isn't it? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you, know, you spend so much time with them from the travel. You know, you'd be on the same flight. You know, rental car having breakfast you spend so much time with them you know as a caddy you, i'm just trying not to ignore uh ignore him you know like get on his nerves basically <laughs> you know just trying to give him space and 
you know, only speak when you really need to say something. Yeah, and I think our conversations vary out in the course. Like, sometimes we won't really say anything to each other for half the round, and then all of a sudden we'll just be talking about, like, the most random things, whether it's, like, sports or, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, But, that, but that's the thing, isn't it? Is how yeah. important is, is the personal side of things, guys, over, you know, obviously the professional part is, is Jaime's got to be a good caddy. He's got to be able to, to make the calls, give the right clubs, get the yardages, you know, spot the out-of-bound posts as he did at, at Q School, right? But it... <laughs> how much more important is it that you're, I guess, best friends at times? Because like you say, it's, it can be 40 weeks a year. You probably spend more time with them than, than anybody else. Yeah. I'll let Mark answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, something where if you are annoyed by the person and you don't do anything about it, that's on you. So, that's on you as a player or on you as a caddy. So I think if it gets yeah. to that, it's just not, it just wouldn't work long term. So do you, do you, um, if you're standing over, over a shot and you're in between clubs um, and the conversation that you had, do you, you make the final decision? Uh, yeah. So yeah. If I was to say you got choked down on it, whatever, choked down on a seven. No, 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 no. How do you work that? No, I, I, I don't tell him how to hit a shot. He knows. Okay. It's just basically a number, a number, yeah. and you know he'll tell me what what he sees. You know, I'll, and I'll just say, okay, we just got to be right at this flag. You know, give me like two flags, six right, or something like something like that. You know, he sees his own shots. You know, okay. caddy wise, it's just really just a number and kind of where it's to win. Because I think there, there, I think a, there is there sorry. was an instance uh, at final stage. I remember I was about to hit a layup shot, and literally about to take. Oh away, yeah. Jaime just stops me. He's like, "Hold on," and I hold on. I stopped, or I forgot what you said exactly, but you I think, you just yeah, told we me had that something you had the sprinkler head. So I was like, "Okay, yeah. let's uh, figure this out. And make sure we get this right." So there's kind of that point where if he knows when to pull me off he he better do it and i trust him when he does yeah. something like that so yeah. good that's why i'm there <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely 100 but like i like what you say there i think i think because jaime from what i understand it's more positive reinforcement you've given them the information you, you've passed everything you can uh, as far as you're concerned you've you've given them the yardage you told them where to aim you know how mark decides to pull that off is how mark decides to put it off you just got to make sure you're given the confidence to do it because i do think that there are caddies that that want to get too involved and they, and they want to have the final say on shots. And, and that's why we see, especially at the very no. top level that, that people do kind of argue at times. Yeah. That, that's my, my deal is less is more, you know, yeah. if he, after, after the number, after the win, you know, if he has something that, that more to ask me, yeah, I'll say something, but you know, just, the best advice like kind of cat is you got to know when to shut, shut up and when to speak <laughs> up and, you know, you gotta. It's mostly shut up most of the time, so always err on that side. No, I like that. But guys, look, um, Jason. Unless you've got anything else, I think we'll, we'll let them get out here. Is uh, let them get on with their days, and um, you know, unless you want to ask anything else. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just, you know, we're, we're going to be following you. We always do. We follow everybody very closely that we have on here, so we'll be watching you back very, very closely as you go back, um, and hope that you follow in footsteps of uh, Kevin Stadler, Nate Lashley and Jonathan Kay, who won the Colorado Open recent years and went on to win on the PGA Tour. So we're hoping, we're, you know, we're praying for you. 
that'd be a cool list to join. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we like Thanks that. Thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah. That's, this yeah. is fun. Mark, Jaime, thank you very much both for joining us. And, and as we say, we'll be supporting you from here on out. And uh, yeah. we look forward to catching up soon.